Have you ever looked around at the circumstances of life? You look around at how things are going and thought, you know, Lord, I'm not always sure you know what you're doing. I'm not sure I think my plan would fit a little bit better right about now. Now, as you consider that, I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples. Now, just a couple of days earlier, as they were walking into Jerusalem, all the crowds joined them out there and shouted out to Jesus, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. And that's where they were at. They were looking for God's salvation right now. Lord, come back right now. Set up your kingdom right now. Turn everything that's wrong to right again. Right now. They weren't looking for God to do something so unexpected and at the same time so spectacular that God would come and walk in our shoes, feel our disappointment, understand what it is to be rejected, hungry, alone, despised, understand what it was like to stand before the council of mankind and be, and be declared by them to be weighed in the balances and found wanting. You don't measure up. You're not righteous. And to submit himself, Almighty God, submit himself to the scourging, to the cross, to death. And all men looked around, all mankind watched, and they said, see, he wasn't righteous. If he was truly the Messiah, we wouldn't have been able to kill him. And three days later, God declared, Oh, my son is righteous. And the only way you will ever stand before me is covered in his righteousness. No other righteousness will do. No other righteousness will work. Your own righteousness won't do. It must be the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus hung on that cross, and as Hebrews declares to you and I, right, that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he, like us, was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. So when we come to him, when we come to God and we say, Lord, I'm struggling, I am frustrated or disappointed with how I thought my Christian walk was going to go. Do you really think he can't sympathize with you? Do you really think that he doesn't understand? When he begins John chapter 16, as we take a look, we are still in what is known as the upper room discourse. Simply means Jesus is walking on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in in Gethsemane, in Gethsemane, we know he's going to be arrested scourged and hung on the cross he's walking this 20 maybe 25 30 minute walk from the temple down coming into the place known as the garden of gethsemane or the mount of olives and while he's walking he's talking to his guys 
And he says to him in chapter 16, verse 1, if you'll take a look, he says to him, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. You know that word stumble is an interesting word. It means to be trapped by misconception. That you would not be trapped by your own misconception about how you think everything's going to turn out. That you won't be trapped by what you think God ought to do. So he said, these things from chapter 14 through, I have given to you so that you won't be stumbled, so that you won't be disappointed with where you are with the Lord and the things that are happening in your life. That you might recognize, as Joseph did, everything that occurs in our life, no matter how tragic or painful, everything that occurs in your life, God means for your good. No matter what. If we can't see it, it's our eyes that are affected, not God's. For God tells in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good, right? What Satan means to destroy, God means for good. What Satan means to do to upend this world, God means for good. So these things, Jesus says, these things I've told you so that you won't stumble, so that you won't fall, that you'll realize. And he, in chapter 16, is going to be very upfront with the disciples. He's going to tell them exactly what they're facing, exactly what is going to come. Now remember, just a couple days ago, everybody was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. They're thinking the kingdom's coming. They're thinking at any moment Jesus is going to wipe away the power of Rome and put himself on the throne of David, which will happen. But it hasn't happened yet. And they're looking for that. They're expecting that. They're ignoring the scriptures like Daniel chapter 9, which says that the Messiah must be karat, cut off. Cut off, literally put to death for a capital crime, And the next verse says, but not for his own, but for his people. Not of his own sin, but for the sin of the world. Isn't that what John told us in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, how's it go? Yeah. That's what he lays out for us. That's what he wants us to grasp. And hold on to. So the Lord being up front says this. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Folks, in their lifetime, in these disciples' lifetime, every one of them that would be killed, the man or people who killed them, believed that they were doing it for God. I mean, how many times in the history of the world we look at at the history of the church, how many atrocities are we going to see performed in the name of God? Men who take that, that name loosely, who put God in for their actions, for their own desires, just like the Pharisees did, teaching, teaching the traditions of men as the commandments of God. And here the Lord says, this is what's going to happen. Now when we consider our expectations for our life, When we consider our expectations for what we are going to experience in our life, should it be any different than what Jesus is telling them? The time will come 
When the one who kills you thinks he's doing God a favor. You ever seen the bumper sticker? Lord, save me from your followers. Why do they say that? Folks, the whole world has this idea that we can just lump all religion together. Truth is, is relative. You have truth, I have truth, we all have truth. It's all good, right? Your, your truth and my truth, we can all live together in one happy truth farm. We'll just be all truthful with one another. But the only place that that works, folks, is when people are looking at a, a religion or a relationship with God. Because if we were to go up in a plane and stand at the door and get ready to jump out, and I said, my truth is I need a parachute, and your truth is you'll be able to fly, we know something's not going to work out, don't we? Why? Because there's only one truth. Gravity doesn't work sometimes and not work other times. If gravity's on, it's on all the time. The older you get, the harder it pulls, huh? I think I might be getting shorter even. So there's not all this different concept of truth. One truth, folks, one truth. And people are trying to lump all that together. But the one group, guys, they, they're calling for tolerance in every way. But what are they not tolerant of? Christian. Why? Because we say Jesus is the truth. That's what he said he was. You can't say Jesus is a good teacher and then discount everything he said. Jesus said he was God. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes to the Father, how? Except by me. They're intolerant of one thing. They're intolerant of the truth. And so, Jesus said, they're going to come. Time will come when they're not going to put up with you guys. After these things, they will do, uh, I'm sorry, and these things they will do to you, because what? They have not known the Father or me. They have no knowledge of God. People, I always get nervous when somebody talks to me about I'm a very spiritual person. Have you ever heard that? I'm a very spiritual person. Usually I'm talking to someone that's that's not a believer and they're and they're kind of lumping everything together. It's all one big happy spirituality. But Jesus said when they persecute the church, they don't it's not me. They might carry a banner that says, in the name of God, but does that mean God is going with them? No. Jesus said they do this because they don't know me, because they don't know the Father, have no relationship with us. The scripture goes on and says, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I'm with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? The disciples were, were curious about what was happening, but they were afraid of all the things that Jesus was speaking to them. They didn't really want to know. You ever ask a question you didn't really want to know the answer to? Occasionally. I'm not even going to say anything. But anyhow, <clears throat> we all know occasionally those questions are asked. Well, here, Jesus is saying, look, you're not asking me where I'm going because he's going to build on this concept. You are to a point of, of sorrow and disappointment with God. 
You're not happy with the direction that God is moving. And so you're right there on the brink of, what am I going to do? Am I going to follow him? Have I just wasted these last three and a half years? What did I do? I left everything to follow Jesus. Is he not who I thought he was? I mean, can you imagine all the things that they're thinking? All the thoughts that are going through their head. And Jesus said, because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. You notice the disciples didn't have to say anything. Jesus just knew. Do you know you don't have to say anything? The Lord knows you can't hide it when you're disappointed with Him. All you can do is make a decision to deal with it. What am I going to do, Lord? What, what's the next right thing? What's the next right step? Lead me, guide me, direct me so that I might follow you but here are the disciples can you imagine the feeling they have the the disappointment that they're feeling with the lord nevertheless in verse 7 he says i tell you the truth it is to your advantage that i go away could you imagine that being true well i mean consider the example of disciples they're they're going out ministering to people there's about five thousand people following them and they're all hungry the disciples are worried, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What did Jesus say? Well, just tell them to sit down. And he multiplied the fish and the loaves and feed 5,000 people. That's a pretty handy fellow to have around, isn't it? One day they're walking along and here come the, the tax collectors from the temple. And they said, hey, Jesus hadn't paid his temple tax yet. He needs to pay his taxes. So what did Jesus tell Peter? Go down to the water. Catch a fish in its mouth, you'll find enough for my taxes and yours. So he goes down, catches a fish. Sure enough, in the mouth of the fish is enough coin, money, to pay their taxes. Pretty handy fella, isn't he? You come walking across, and there's a guy who's lame or blind or mute or anything. He reach out and touch him and heal him. Yet Jesus is saying, it is better for you that I go away. So in the minds of the disciples, they cannot grasp it. But right now, Jesus incarnate in the flesh, walking on earth, how many places is he at one time? He's right there with the disciples. He's with them. Remember Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? Was Jesus there? No, he was with his disciples. That's why Lazarus died. Jesus said it's, it's expedient for you. It's better for you that I go. Because as he goes on in this verse, he tells them, For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The helper, the completer. Folks, in the lives of the disciples, are they, are they everything that they're ever going to be right now? No, they're not. And they never will be as long as Jesus is there. Because when Jesus fulfills the work that he came to do, when he dies on the cross, when he proves that he could deal with the penalty of sin, when he's risen for our righteousness, when this world is judged, when all those things happen, and he goes to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit, then the disciples experience abundant life. Unstoppable life. I mean, pretty much it's, a, it's, it's like watching a comedy, paying attention to the disciples, isn't it? I mean, here they are, trucking along, doing good things, trip, fall, stumble, mess up, do something wrong, over and over and over again, 
pretty soon Jesus is going to be arrested. What are the disciples going to do? They're going to run away, right? I don't want you to miss this. It will be the last time they ever run away. Because when Jesus goes, he sends the completer. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you and I to perform that which God is calling us to do. And so Jesus is saying, this is why it's expedient that I go. For if I go, you guys are all going to be endowed with power to perform, to do the things you always want to be able to do, yet are afraid that you will fail. And so, when He has come, in verse 8, and when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe. Folks, so many people get wrapped up in this concept of sin. This is sin. That is sin. The other thing is sin. Which one's the worst sin? Hey, the Bible's concerned with one. There's one sin that condemns. Unbelief. That's it. Unbelief condemns. That we don't receive that free gift that Jesus Christ is offering us. So the the Holy Spirit will convict. It will declare that the world is guilty of unbelief. That's what he's going to do. He's going to declare that. And of righteousness. Why did Jesus say? Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. When they nailed Jesus to the cross, they put a sign over his head and they declared him. They declared him to be unrighteous, a sinner. They declared him to be everything or or nothing that he said he was. When God raised him from the dead, God said, he is righteous. If he wasn't righteous, God would leave him in the grave. But the scripture said, you will not allow the Holy One to see corruption. Because his righteousness is in fact substantiated by the resurrection. When Jesus was risen from the dead. So the Holy Spirit is going to show us that righteousness, folks, is available to you and I. We believe in Jesus Christ, and He who became sin for us will become for us the righteousness of God. The enablement of us to stand before the Father. The enablement of us to see Him, to come before Him. But folks, people have, I don't know, some strange ideas in regard to righteousness, don't they? In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, the scripture lays out for us, Jesus who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification. What does that phrase mean? Raised for our justification. Justification, easy way to remember it, right? He makes us just as if we never done it. It's his righteousness that he bestows upon us. In Romans chapter 10, in verse 3 of Romans chapter 10, Scripture declares this, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They're trying to say, I'm a good person, I'm good enough the way I am, I, I do good things. But listen, 
Folks, don't miss this. God said there is only one righteousness that can stand before him. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the only one that can stand before him. So we must come before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness he freely gives to all who believe. To all who put their trust in him. It's a work that God has already declared. When people stand up and say, hey, I'm okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm doing all right, I'm doing good things. Folks, that's what Romans 10.3 said. They try to come to God on their own righteousness, but that righteousness will not work. That righteousness does not save. And finally, he said that the Holy Spirit will do what? He will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Guys, judgment day already came. Jesus said when he came in the beginning of the gospel of John, I did not come to what? Condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. That was a reason that God came to condemn. That means to come before the world and execute judgment. The world is already guilty. There is no one born upon this earth, walking upon this earth, that is not guilty before God. The world is already judged. What we await is the day in which Jesus will return to execute judgment. I don't look for that day. I'm not looking for that judgment because that means time's up. It's over. We're done. I want to look for the day of salvation. I want to look for that opportunity that the Lord gives us to reach out with the truth. Hey, you're already condemned. You're already guilty. Your righteousness won't work. But the righteousness that Jesus have, he freely will give to you. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is take it. And the Lord imputes that righteousness in your life. And this is what Jesus said. This is all going to be accomplished by him leaving. Because he's going to do that work. Where's he going? To the cross. And to the Father. He's going to accomplish that perfect work. And then he says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I think I've been there once or twice. You ever felt that way? I cannot take anything else. I don't want to hear another thing. I can't, not any more bad news. There's a period of time back in Yucca Valley when Kathy and I were there right after Pastor Gerald's wife Cindy died. Every single week, someone died. Young people, accidents, horrific things taking place in families. I mean, it was incredible. Week after week after week, it felt like this wave of just lousy stuff going on. And I remember feeling filled with despair. I felt like God's taken all of my friends and all the people I care for. Instead of taking us all in the rapture, he's taking us one at a time. One at a time, at a time. Lord, what's going on? Filled with despair. Finally, the Lord would would speak. 
when we are functioning, working, and moving aside from the power of the Holy Spirit, you are not able to bear what God is doing. They can't bear what Jesus has to tell them because the Holy Spirit's not with them yet. You know, when the hard times would come, the disciples would run. The only disciple who didn't run was Peter. What did he do? He made a decision that he was willing to die right here for Jesus. He wasn't willing to live, but he was willing to die. I mean, what happens? I Bring it to our day. The police come to arrest somebody. You pull out a gun and shoot someone in the ear. What is going to happen to you? You're going to get shot. It's called uh, suicide by police. Happens all the time. That's the same thing Peter was doing when he hit a Roman or, or struck out the Romans with his sword. He hit a servant, a guy with no sword, and we won't go there anyway. But anyhow, he struck that guy. He was willing to die, but he wasn't willing to live. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit wasn't upon him yet. He hadn't been, been empowered by the promise that Jesus said, I have to go. Because if I don't go, guys, you're stuck just like you are. But if I go, you're going to be so much more than what you are right now. Same thing's true for us. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we are so much more than what we are apart from him. We need to be in that place, as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit, constantly overflowing, the hose of the Holy Spirit turned up full force, flowing into your life and overflowing into others. This is what Jesus is looking for. But then he tells him in verse 13, as he gets on the Holy Spirit, however... When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it for you. Now, if you wanted to count, Jesus just mentioned seven things that the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. Seven things that the Holy Spirit is going to accomplish in you. First, he will act as the spirit of truth. Next, the next thing that he lays out for us is that he's, he's going to guide uh, believers to the truth. That he won't speak about himself. That he will speak about what he hears. That he will show believers things to come. That he will glorify Christ. And that he will take the things of Christ and show them to us. Folks, anytime there's some special service, uh, a Holy Ghost service, a Holy Spirit service, that's not in line with what God's Word declares because God's Word says the Holy Spirit will always point to who? Jesus. He will always glorify Jesus. He will always teach us about Jesus. He will always lead us in the truth of Jesus. And so He lays out for us this work This message, the message of Jesus Christ is central. Keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, if we were to have a big gathering of of all the churches and try to come together, chances are we'd sit in a circle and start arguing about doctrine. That's just the nature, I think, of the beast, unfortunately. But if we kept the main thing the main thing, Jesus, the centrality of Jesus Christ, 
the centrality of the salvation message, well, there we might be able to stand together. There we would be able to to reach out. And I think this is what the Holy Spirit does in the body of believers and in our life. Keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on. And he says, now all the things that the Father has are mine. Now, I don't want you to miss this, guys. I don't want you to miss the fact that Jesus just said, all the things that are the Father's. By the way, all things in the Greek means all things. All things that are the Father's are mine. That means everything that the Father possesses, every characteristic of the Father, every point of deity within the Father, it means everything that makes the Father God belong to Jesus. All things that are my Father's are mine. Jesus declaring yet again His oneness with the Father. Therefore I said to you, He will take of mine and declare it to you. He will teach us all those things of God. You ever been blown away by by what God's Word declares, what God's Word says? Paul, when he wrote the letter letter to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, he said, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Most people want to stop there, but the scripture goes on. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. The spirit searches all things. It wants to drive us in all ways. It wants to point us to Jesus Christ. Those things that we don't understand. We need to lay them out before the Holy Spirit. And he'll lead us in truth. He'll show us a way. He'll guide us to that point in our relationship with him. One of the things I've discovered, and maybe you've enjoyed this as well, I've I've read whole books of the Bible and left question marks by things I didn't understand. And later on, when I go back through that book again, a few of them question marks get hammered out. The Holy Spirit reveals to me what? The deep things of God. And we're growing, moving forward, not moving backwards because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He wants to teach us those deep things, all the things of God. But folks, he's not going to teach us all the things of God while we're sitting in our our vehicle or our car or our truck or the seats reclined, the music is blasting, the bass is blowing out the back window, or maybe that's just my kid's car. Um... All the noise, all that stuff happening, and we're not spending time daily with the Lord. How's He going to reveal anything? Because God's going to reveal Himself through His Word to you. Through your time in His Word. Through your time in worship. I mean, wasn't that a, a wonderful time of worship this morning? Just leaning on the Lord, reaching out to Him, feeling Him just bask the body with His Spirit. Well, if, if we're not here, that's, we, we, we leave without that blessing. If we're not in the Word, we leave without the blessing of the Lord speaking to our hearts. And we can have that every single day. 
All you have to do is crack the book open and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, to teach you, and to open your eyes. So everything that he has, he will give us. Verse 16, Now a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. You ever had one of them conversations with your wife? That's what I feel like when I, when I read these next several verses. And actually, they're not that hard to understand. But sometimes, it just, Kathy can get going so fast that I'm still a sentence or two behind her. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps, they taught me to, to do Morse code. And so when Morse code goes off, you know, we'd be, we'd be typing. I'd be listening to something two groups ahead and still trying to type what was two groups behind. So fortunately, I've been trained by the military to be able to have these conversations with my wife. (laughs) But if she gets any more than two groups ahead, I'm going to be in trouble. She can always tell when it happens because my eyes just go... (laughs) Oh, they're still open. But there's that big glassy thing that just went across. And she realizes, I just lost you, didn't I? Well, that's what is going on with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus just said, look, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Now they just went, what? And so they're going to say. So some of the disciples said among themselves, what? Right? What is this, he says? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. See, all the guys, all the disciples are together, scratching their head right now. What? Right over. Right by. Zipping right gone. I don't know what's happening. What is he talking about? But look at verse 19. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. So he said to them, are you trying to figure out what I meant by a little while you're not going to see me and a little while and you will see me? Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly I say to you, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Now, Jesus is looking ahead at the cross. It's easy for us to see, right? A little while, they're going to take me away. A little while, then I'm going to rise again from the dead and you're going to see me. But listen, guys, there's even more than that in this. If we just back up a little bit and we take a look at those two words in the Greek used for see. For see. Theoreo. It means to see. To visually see. That's the first time when Jesus says, a little while... And you will uh, not see me. Theoreo, you will not see me. I'll be gone. And a little while, and you will see me. Optimio, it means to see from afar off. Or to see in a vision. See, he's saying, after this, after the cross, there's going to be a whole new thing going on. It's not going to be like this anymore. It's not going to be like me just walking with you and talking with you like like we've experienced in these three and a half years. You're going to see me in a totally different way. Wasn't that true? 
And he said, listen, in a little while, you're going to mourn, lament, weep. Your heart's going to be ripped out. Jesus is telling them before it happens. Folks, there's no different word that God's trying to get to us today. Hasn't there ever been a time in your life when your heart's been ripped out? When you felt like, God, where were you when this happened? Why didn't it happen like this? Why didn't this take place? Because that's exactly what he is declaring to the disciples. And he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that you won't be trapped by your own misconceptions. It's all part of God's plan. It's all part of the work that God is doing. And God wants to know, listen, do you trust me? I know it don't feel right. And I know you're going to sorrow and weep and mourn. I know it's hard. That's not my question. My question is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Because your sorrow, what? Will be turned to joy. Not replaced by. Sorrow is still there, folks. It will be turned to joy. It will be turned to joy. The psalmist would write, The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's why we today walk around without strength so often. Because we get joy and happiness confused, right? Happiness depends on happenings. Joy doesn't depend on anything but the Lord. When we answer that question, Yes, Lord, I trust you. We experience joy. We experience the joy of knowing I am in God's hand. And whatever happens, pass through a God who loves me. That's where Job came, wasn't it? We can argue from now till kingdom come whether or not we think it's morally right for Job to have had to suffer all the things he suffered. But where did Job come to in the end? I know my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will see him. I will see him. He will walk on this earth. What's he saying? I trust God. All his friends coming and telling him all the things he must have done wrong. But what did Job say? No, I trust God. I don't know why all this happened. But I trust God. And that carries us through. And that's what's going to carry them through. How bad are they going to feel when they put Jesus on the cross, when they scourge Him, when all those things happen? Their hearts will be ripped out. But Jesus said, listen, that sorrow will be turned to joy. How do you think they felt when they saw Jesus after He rose from the dead? I reckon they felt pretty good. I think they were pretty excited. I think they were never once again the same because of all those things that they were experiencing. Listen, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy of a human being being born into the world. Isn't that true? Noel's going to experience that pretty soon. God's doing some neat things. Danielle, too. God's doing some neat things. We have some, some ladies who are pregnant. So ladies who are pregnant... You're going to put your fingers in your ear and go, ah, la, 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 la. Don't listen to this part. Because I'm about to tell one of them stories that people like to tell people that are pregnant. But anyway. Kathy, when she was pregnant with our second child, Cole, that one over there, 
when she was pregnant with him, she comes in, she could never seem to um, start labor herself. Just didn't never happen. So the doctor gave her a choice. Well, Cole could be born on, on this day or September 9th, your birthday. And she chose September 9th on her birthday to have her child. So I was happy. No birthday present that year. <laughs> so Kathy's going to, Kathy goes in, we're in there, to, and, 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 and we thought we knew everything. This was a second child. We thought we already knew everything from Lamaze. Let me just remind you guys that are going for a second child, you forgot it all. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to help her, you know, telling her to breathe, breathe, breathe. And she's come to that time where she's pushing. And she's pushing the baby out. And as she's pushing the baby out, she's, I'm looking right into her eyes. You know, and I'm trying to be supportive. At that, she's not, she's, I'm not, she's not my biggest fan right there. But she's, she's looking at me and she's pushing and she goes like this. Ah! When she did that, both of the whites of her eyes popped. She blew, she blew out the blood vessels in the whites of her eyes. Now, guys, I want you to picture this. I'm looking down at my wife. Breathe, honey, breathe. She goes, ah, and both of her eyes go, and turn blood red. Whoa! I was waiting for her head to spin around. I was thinking that maybe as, that, as her head spun around and she was going to say, oh, I am legion for we are many or something. It was kind of frightening. So as she's there in that place and she's, her eyes popped, she was feeling all this pain. But listen, guys, five seconds later, Cole's born. And the first thing that Kathy wanted was to have her baby right there on, on top of her. The doctor put the baby right on her. Cole, he was like an alien. He, he got on mom and went right for nursing. He's just born and he's crawling, like low crawling up mom to, to get some milk. But, but nonetheless, in that moment... In that second. Sorry, bud. (laughs) When you guys stop seeing Cole in church, you'll start to understand why, huh? (laughs) But that moment, I wasn't thinking about the fact that my wife's eyes just blew up or that she looked like a demon or that that Cole, Cole shouldn't be moving like that. We were just... So excited to have a baby. That was everything. And all that anxiety, all the worry, all the concern, all the junk, just like Jesus said, it's gone. And instantly, all that is turned into joy. It's turned into joy as you just are have this remarkable, intense uncomprehendable love to anyone who hasn't experienced it you, you just you just don't quite understand what that's like but but as the lord turns our sorrow to joy here the disciples understand exactly what god's talking about in a, about 3 days when jesus rises from the dead they're going to know that intense joy that intense excitement all that is, is being offered in that place. Therefore, in verse 22, 
You now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one can take from you. Folks, that's the strength of joy. No one can take your joy away. No one. We want that. We want to experience that joy of the Lord because it's not just going to blow around with the wind. It's something that we experience in Him, that we have in Him, all that Jesus has to give us. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give to you. While I was studying, I came across a quote by Calvin I liked. He said, we have the heart of God as soon as we place before Him the name of His Son. You know, there are friends I had growing up that I might go over to their house and knock on a door and their parents would come and they don't know me. And maybe I'd say, hey, can I come in and have some dinner? And they'd be looking at me kind of strange, like, who are you and what are you doing at our house? But if I'm standing there with their son, it changes everything, doesn't it? Come on in. Mi casa es su casa. My place is your place. Come on. And that's what Jesus is saying we experience in a relationship with him, with his father. Jesus says, you don't have to ask me. You can go straight to my dad. Because you're covered in my righteousness. And my father will accept you. My father will receive you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. What's he talking about? Listen, as we walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ, when his will is our will, we are one, we're unified, moving together in one place, you pray and God gives. That's how it works. You make your request known. You cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. And God will meet those needs. So that should be our goal, shouldn't it? That should be what we strive for, to have that kind of relationship, walking in the will of God, experiencing all of God's will that we can. Because when we're in that place, the Bible says, delight yourself in the law of the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That means God will take his desires and put them in your heart and now when you pray when you ask when you walk you're rightly reflecting the truth of his son this is what jesus is calling us to he says these things i have spoken to you in in figurative language but the time is coming when i will no longer speak to you in figurative language but i will tell you plainly about the father in that day you will ask in my name and i do not say to you that i will pray for the father to the father for you jesus said you don't have to pray to me and have me pray to the father man you can go straight to him you're going to be able to go straight to him now this is mind-boggling for them because only one day a year could one person go to the presence of the Father. Only once. But now Jesus is saying you'll all be able to go. You'll all be able to come boldly into his throne room. Why? Because of their relationship with him. Because they love the Son. They get everything that the Father has. Because they love the Son. Because he's become so much a part of their life. For the Father himself loves you 
because you loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Now I came forth from the Father and have come into this world. And again, I leave the world and go to my Father. Guys, that's our journey right there. You get it. Jesus said in this, I come from the Father and came to this world. Now I am leaving this world and going to the Father. We're here now, but we're leaving this place and we will go to the Father. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's your destiny, period. No matter what happens here, we're going to the Father. We're following Jesus because He is the way. So his disciples said to him, See now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need of anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. The the disciples here are talking about their knowledge. They're talking about intellectual assent. We agree. we, we, We understand. But they don't have experiential knowledge. That's coming, right? Right now, for the disciples, it's words on a page. In a few hours, it's going to be real life. It won't be a theory anymore. It'll be reality. And folks, that's the way our life goes, isn't it? Many times we think we're in a place with the Lord we understand in theory, but we don't have the experience we haven't experienced these things that we're talking about. When we experience, when we experience all that the Lord has for us, each one of us, on a different road, a different journey of life, as God ex- brings into our life that experience, then we know. Then we grow. These things we get a grip on. And that's what the disciples are talking about. We understand in theory is what they're saying, but soon, a couple chapters. They're going to understand in reality. And so, now, Jesus answered him and said, Do you believe? Jesus is saying, listen guys, you are as yet unable to perform. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has come, that you will be scattered, each of his own, and will leave me alone. Yet I want you to know, yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What's Jesus talking about? You guys aren't going to be able to perform. You're not going to be able to perform the fact that you believe. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will. When when the time of the arrest comes, Jesus is going to be left. What are all those disciples going to be thinking the day after the crucifixion? When they sit around in the room, what are they thinking? I can't believe I left him alone. I can't believe I told him I loved him and I denied him three times. I can't believe that this all has happened. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to have peace. I'm not alone. The Father is with me. I'm not alone. He's trying to comfort his disciples. Folks, he's just now looking at the gate in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to open that gate and walk inside and pray. That's how close he is to the cross. And he's still reaching out to his disciples, trying to comfort them, prepare them, love them. 
He's not doing anything different for you and I. He wants to prepare us in the same way for these things that we will face. The disciples are disappointed. They're bummed. They think life should go different than how it has gone. They didn't perform perfectly. But listen, Paul, who would begin persecuting the church and beating Christians in church, ultimately will become a Christian and go to Rome and bear witness to Jesus Christ to Caesar right before his head's cut off. He didn't run away. Peter's going to go to Antioch, be arrested and face Nero just like Paul. He'll be crucified upside down. Thomas, he's going to go to India and spread the gospel. And while he's spreading the gospel, priests in India will impale him on the head of a spear. James, he's going to be in Jerusalem and killed by the sword by Herod. Philip, he's going to go to Phrygia where he will be crucified. Matthew, he's going to go to Ethiopia where they're going to have him drawn and quartered and split him apart. James, James, uh, the, the brother of Jesus, will be in Jerusalem where he will be stoned. Matthias will be in Jerusalem where he will be stoned. Andrew will go to Asia where he'll be crucified. Mark will go to Alexandria where he'll be drawn and quartered. Thaddeus or Jude will be in Odessa. He'll be crucified. Bartholomew will go to India where he'll be beaten and then crucified. Luke will go to Greece where he will be hung. And Simon, he'll go to Africa and Great Britain and there be crucified. Every one of the disciples that runs never runs again. Because in or through their relationship with Jesus Christ, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that power for them to become witnesses. That's the power to perform. It's not found in us. It's found in the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the promised one that Jesus is giving right here at the end of John chapter 16. And He said, These things I have spoken to you that in Me you may have peace. What should our expectation of the world be? In the world you will have what? Tribulation, trouble. It's going to be. That should be our expectation. In the world you will have tribulation, trouble, trial, sorrow. But then he says what? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We're looking for Jesus, not happiness here. And that looking for Jesus is what gives us the joy we need to go through the struggles we face. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You so much for this time that we we come before You, Lord. We thank You, Father, that uh, You speak to us so clearly through Your Word. God, it's our desire that, Father, by Your Spirit, we would come to know and realize and understand, God, if we're in a place today disappointed, frustrated with God, frustrated with our relationship, things in this world haven't worked out like we thought they should. Father, may we come to You for the peace that You give, not as the world gives, 
The peace that you give will never leave. Because our faith and trust is not in this world, but in the next. Our faith and trust is not in a place, but it's in you, a person, one who will never leave or forsake, one who will empower us so that our lives could be just as different as the disciples. Before we knew, before we were filled, before we were empowered, and afterward. So these things, God, you give to us that we would not be trapped by our own misconception. Father, help us to know, to experience the truth of who you are. Father, may we come before you to our hearts just open, just reaching out for more of you. More of you, not just on Sunday morning, more of you every day of the week. That you would guide, that you would provide, that you would show us that we would know beyond all doubt that indeed you are everything we need. Father, as we come to that realization, we ask, God, that you would receive all of the glory and praise, God, that you would fill us with joy inexpressible, despite our circumstances. Even if we're on the darkest night of human history, God, fill us with your joy, and may that joy be full, because we are full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.